the second thing is, and I'm going to mangle the quote, but it's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is, we can all be great. Someone had asked him something about being great and leading change. He said that the greatness comes from being in service to others. That's the well, that's the foundation of the greatness, so being in service to others, living that, feeling that, being that. The and part of the win-win, and I'm learning, and I'm feeling good, and I'm helping, and, and, and. The ego is not about, oh, I'm better at this than anybody else, or I got to the mountaintop before anybody else, or the bigger issue is the bigger feeling, it's the bigger contribution, it's the being all that you can be. We go back to the Maslow self-actualization. If you read Maslow, what he writes about is you really cannot self-actualize. You cannot be all that you can be unless you help others be all that they can be. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. As best I can tell, most people associate acting on the environment with obligation, chore, deprivation, sacrifice. They associate it with some scientist figured out that everything I'm doing is hurting people and they tell me to do something different. We lead them. Actually, I should say those of us who manage without leading, we manage them to feel that way. Because when we tell them to do something without telling them why, it's not a part of them. It's not coming from inside. We may think, well, we're right because that's what the science says. But motivation depends not on how right you are, but how the person you want to motivate feels. Likewise, people associate Deming, to the extent they know him, with statistics. And they might associate with how they felt with having to solve math problems in school, tricky algebra stuff. But when you get Deming, you see that understanding patterns reveals what to do, which is liberating, even fun. It's not just math stuff. On the contrary, it liberates you to people stuff. Likewise, when you want to do something, effective leadership connects with that desire and makes it rewarding, joyful, fun, even when you're doing grunt stuff. So Kelly shares how digging dirt and planting plants became fun when led effectively. Since everyone cares about the environment in some way, after all, we all eat, breathe, drink. We all can feel this way. The way that you can hear Kelly describe his, well, it could be grunt work, but he loves it. I think you'll be able to tell that a strategy is forming to apply Deming's work to sustainability. As he, Deming, turned around Japan in a few years to lead the world, so can we lead our communities to act on the environment and love, enjoy sustainability. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Kelly Allen. Kelly, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you back. And when last we spoke, we were talking about plants. And actually, we were talking about plants, but you picked up on the meaning behind it. And most of the time, the first question I ask people is, what did you do? How did it go? And in your case, if you don't mind my asking a slightly different question, what motivated you to do it? And then could you share what was the project that you did? I think what motivated me to do it was that combination that we had been talking about during the podcast, which is the whole the win-win thinking that, that Deming has uh, noted for. So there's joy in for me, and digging in the dirt and planting more things that absorb carbon, uh, that's part of the win-win, right? So that was, it's a combination of joy, combination of doing the right thing uh, in the right ways that also then have other ongoing benefits that unleash other benefits. Did you feel that before you started doing it? Did you, 
were you feeling it while you were doing it? Did it come after doing it? Did it cause the action? Did the action cause it? I'm kind of curious how that interplay worked. All the above. I think all of the above. Uh, you helped me focus in the, at the end of our podcast. You helped me focus on some things in some new ways to broaden my thinking and connections. And so it was more than just the routine of doing that. And not even routine. It was just more than the joy of doing that. It now took on a more meaningful uh, aspect. What was there before then? What, when you gardened before? or what? It was larger than me. It became much larger than me or my yard. The gardening, the planting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it became larger than me. What was it? Are the specifics? You said it was larger than me. What, was, what is this larger thing? It was, I'm doing something that's also more meaningful to other people whom I don't even know, right? It's helping to clean the air. It's helping to taking the carbon out of the air. More plant material absorbs carbon. And before you're in my conversation, how did you look at acting on sustainability, acting on the environment? What would you, if someone said, hey, why don't you do something for the environment? How would you have looked at it before? Probably would have said, I think I am, but I haven't really thought about it. I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, I'm doing my part. I'm one of the good guys. You know, I've got a bamboo toothbrush. They feel like they're fulfilling an obligation that really none of us wants to do. And we're kind of stuck because of past generations and even current generations. And like, oh, well, I have to, I don't want to. Obviously, I don't want to. I'd rather eat a steak than eat crickets. But, you know, I'm eating crickets or maybe people aren't up to crickets yet. But, uh, you know, okay, so people are going vegetarian for a while. I'm doing my part. I'm suffering. Well, as we talked about last time, suffering doesn't necessarily, it's not a sustainable uh, yeah. motivational device. It may work for a while. It's hard to sustain that. Joy is much easier to sustain. In fact, I think joy becomes, a, it's like a perpetual motion machine that gets bigger. Mm-hmm. It's, it's psychological physics, if you will. Right? There's no such thing really as a perpetual motion machine, but there is a motion. It is psychologically. There are, there is that psychologically. Yeah, I think if you if you feel like you're doing it out of obligation to others, then that motivation will last a little while. But it does feel like you're going to the well and you're going to deplete, deplete it. Whereas when you're doing it in service of others, it's a, it's it may sound the same to someone who is not feeling it. Like I'm training some people to do new versions of this podcast, and a couple of them haven't picked up yet. They're like, oh, you know, I I don't quite have time for it yet. And for me, it's not quite that I would like crawl through broken glass to do it. But when I'm doing this podcast, I'm not getting paid for it. There's no advertising when the predominant message is reduced consumption. But I'm thinking of the people on the receiving end of this. That's what I'm doing it for. I'm not a parent, but I think I have a sense of, of I doubt it's as intense as, as a parent doing it for their children, doing something for their children. But it gives me energy. Uh- couple things come to mind. One is the parental relationship, being a parent, being my wife's only child. I, I can only speak from observation, but uh, the parental relationship, I think, is a different type of relationship from just a, from not just, but from a service relationship. Uh, I think that's probably more, more challenging than parents, being a parent, uh, in terms of sustain, uh, sustaining that. So that's, but I don't know. So that's number one. I'm, I'm not sure those two things equate and that we probably don't want to uh, intertwine, intertangle them. But the second thing is, and I'm going to mangle the quote, but it's uh, one from 
the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is, we can all be great. Someone had asked him something about being great and leading change. He said the, the, the greatness comes from being in service to others. That's the, the well, that's the foundation of the greatness, is sort of being in service to others and living that, feeling that, being that. And I'm going to add one more thing because, because it connects to Deming. I think that the message that came to me before I started acting myself was felt, it felt like a manager saying, telling me how to do my job better, how to do my job right. And what I'm trying to give people is I'm trying to tap into their emotion and enable them to figure out how to do their job better. I sacrificed the direction. I don't know. I had no idea you'd work on plants. I would be very lucky if I said, how about you plant some plants? But if I had said, how about you pick up some garbage or how about you change your diet or how about you drive less or something like that, probably wouldn't have resonated with you. But now I lose, maybe plants aren't the most effective thing, but if you want to do it and you like to do it and you're invest in the outcome and we agree, you know, we both share an outcome that we want, clean air, clean water, clean land, things like that. I think you're going to want to do it and whatever, how big or however big or small you start, it will eventually get big. Yes, that makes sense to me. And what you mentioned about Deming also makes sense. It's sort of the concept of servant leadership, but so much of the servant leadership literature and practice doesn't come from the well of humanity. It's more of a technique to get what you want. And that's not the same. That's not true servant leadership. And what you what you described, I think, fits much more closely or fits closely with what uh, Deming talks about is the role of the leader, the role of the manager is to help uh, improve the system in which people work so they can do their best work, but also help people be all that they can be as a part of that. And that's where when the power is unleashed, that's when the intrinsic motivation to do amazing things and to be creative and to innovate and to help others uh, that's where that comes from. It has to be genuine. It can't be a technique. Yeah, I think we're on the verge of something big. It may start as a technique. I mean, we can, we can, I think the literature shows two things and they're, they're opposite, but they end up the same. One is you can behave yourself into uh, new ways of thinking, but you can also think your way into new behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you can start in either place, but you have to do something. And that was your point from last time. You have to actually go do something yourself. You yeah. can't hire it done. Uh, you can't pay somebody else to do it. You can't delegate it. You have to do it yourself because there's a link there, an emotional, psychological link. I think that's powerful. Yeah, actually, I don't know if you can see on, on the board behind me, it says systemic change begins with personal transformation. I think I came up with that before diving into the into Deming recently, but I feel like that's something he might've said. It is, of course. Yeah. The transformation starts with the individual. He also said that the transformation of an organization starts in the boardroom. Quality starts in the boardroom. Because the, it's the boardroom that has the leverage, uh, fast leverage, right? And it's not that individuals don't have ability or leverage, but it's not the same as having a board saying, we are going to make this decision about whatever it is. And this is how we're going to fund that. And this is how we're going to make that happen. Uh, so he said both things, right? The transformation starts with the individual. Uh, there also starts in the boardroom. And they're not mutually exclusive. Now, I'm going to get back to plants and dirt. <laughs> Okay. So what did you do? What uh, After we spoke, if I remember right, can you remind me what you were going to do? Yes. I was, uh, fall season is good for transplanting a number of things, much better than spring. And one of those things is to transplant uh, hillivores and hostas. Hostas are much more forgiving in the spring. 
hellebores are less less forgiving, so the fall is better. Uh, they started to shut down a little bit for the winter, so that they're they're much more able to survive the winter. Whereas in the spring, they're more vulnerable. So I split and transplanted dozens. So you, you carefully dig them up, not to damage the roots and the runners, and uh, dig the new holes, prepare the new ground, and separate and spread them out across the yard. Is this a lot of work? Are you, are you breaking a sweat? Are you? No, it is a lot. It takes a lot of time, but it's joyful time, I guess you'd say. I, it's one of those things that if you don't like doing it, you're not going to do it. It's, there's a lot of physical labor. There's the digging of the new holes. There's the careful digging out of the old and, and separating them and you know getting them to the new location and then carefully planting them and covering them up and watering and mulching for protection against the winter. And it takes a lot of time. It's worth it. It feels like the sort of thing that if if you wanted someone to do it for you, you'd have to pay them a lot. But if you want to do it yourself, it's like, it's glorious. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you have to pay them a lot. It's time consuming. So you'd have to pay for tonight. But you miss the, uh, for me, right? Because I like digging in the dirt. You mentioned dirt. Uh, there's something um, very connecting to me to Mother Nature in doing that. I like digging in the dirt. I like doing that. Would you have done it otherwise? Or would you have done it differently? Or You mean if, you had, if we hadn't talked about it? Yeah. I may not have done as much, but I had, in the spring, I had planned on doing some of it in the fall. So once I'm on a roll, I just keep going. Partly, I think I mentioned to you, I'm, I'm training other people to do their versions of this podcast. So to reach audiences that I wouldn't reach. Part of the training is I walk them through to do the experience I did with you. And then they do it with me. Mm. In fact, they have to do it twice with me, once unrecorded and once for the first episode of their other podcast. So I'm getting flooded with all these things to, because now I think five branches that are starting on maybe six and uh, so that's 10 or 12 things that I have to come up with. And last night I was planting seeds on my window garden and it didn't occur to me. I kept, I had the dirt, I had everything set up. I had the seeds right there and I kept saying, I'll do it later. I think it's been over a year that they've been sitting right there. All I got to do is put the seeds in the dirt and put a little water on. And I'm just like, oh, I'll get to it later. And a year goes by and I'm thinking, it feels like it was just yesterday that I said, oh, I'll just get to it soon enough. And I want to get to where I'm putting big stuff on my roof because half my, my building has um, a big rooftop and half of it has all these pipes and they've fenced it off because I think it's, they probably don't want people walking around where the pipes are. But I bet I could get access to that to put up some beds. I want to have a big feast every year, maybe a couple times a year, bring some vegetables down to the lobby and have people taste what came, up, came from their roof. That's uh, that's interesting. It made me think of uh, with with COVID being here, right? Not not being elsewhere, but being here. Uh, it's the fifteen or twenty minutes. It's amazing how much one can get done uh, in the yard or on your roof in fifteen or twenty minutes. You don't need two hours. You don't need a block of two hours. You can get things done. No, not everything, right? Depending on what you're transplanting. But I don't have to do three or four or five hours of transplanting at once. Uh, it's not the first time I've done it. I know what the tools are that are needed. I know what the prep looks like. Uh, so we can do it in bits and pieces. And then over the course of several days, those or a week, 15 or 20 minutes adds up into several hours. And especially if you didn't get a block of an hour of time, it's like, wow, this is, this is amazing. 
versus, okay, how am I going to find five hours? Mm-hmm. No, you don't have to find five hours. Find 15 minutes. Yeah, it's like there's like a mental shift where what, yeah. if you want to do it versus whether you feel obliged to do it or if you've gotten started. It's, a, it's funny how I will mention one of my best friends when I was in sixth grade, and I have no idea what's happened to him, but, uh, and I won't mention his name, but he lived in a household where studying was not really valued in my household. And I know there's a whole uh, debate about whether homework's worthwhile or not. But when I was growing up, there was homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I you know, had my book bag and all my homework assignments. And every evening, that's what we did was work on homework. My friend didn't have that home environment. He didn't have a place to study. He had a lot of siblings uh, in a small home that was filled with everything, right? So there's no desk. There was nothing. Kitchen table. There was no place for him to study. So he had to do his homework at school. And he was really effective at this. He didn't waste a minute of time at school because he didn't have any time to do homework when he got home. Also, he had lived on a farm. And so there were all the the chores related to farming uh, that he had to do. That was a part of his responsibility. Uh, So he he was a a good student without ever doing any homework because he got it done at school. He took those five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute increments and got it done. And he changed my life in sixth grade when I saw how the first time I visited his home was like, there's no way, no wonder he can't do over. It can't be done. <laughs> By the time it's he's got his chores done and, the, and there's no place to study, he'd have to do it on his lap. Uh, he, he changed my life and my thinking about, wow, here's a guy who makes the most of the time he has. And it was profound for me. Oh, profound learning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I've tried to apply that in my life into working with uh, associates. Well, how much time do you need? Well, I need two hours. Now, what can you do in 15 minutes? Just think it, chunk it up in 15 minutes, come back, we'll talk. Mm-hmm. That's how I built the business, 15-minute increments. And it's interesting because with our work at Toyota, uh, in the uh, not the factories, but in the white-collar work, one of the things that the managers do who manage other people or work with other people, manage other people, mentor other people, is their block, their time every day is is divided up into 15-minute blocks. They have some of their own projects to work on, but you need a manager's mentor. It's 15-minute blocks throughout the day. It's it's a fabulous way to work. And this guy had that in sixth grade. He had that figured out at 12 years old. Toyota's doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Everything I needed to know in business, I learned in sixth grade. It's a powerful thing. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Let me ask you something kind of related. I like to ask people what the emotional experience was like, but we, we talked about that ahead of time. What, what about relationships? Did this affect how you interacted with others? Did, did your family get involved or did your neighbors see you or did you have to you know, buy stuff at the store? I don't know. Did- no, it was, it was all pretty self-contained. It's all pretty self-contained, especially because I was doing it in 15-minute increments. So 
I mean, it'll help in 15 minutes. Now, well, the more I spend an hour here or an hour there, uh, over the course of that time, I guess my wife knew what I was doing, but, and maybe waved at the neighbors. But the other thing, when I'm, I'm, I'm in, in a psychological, emotional, I don't know, spiritual, maybe too strong, but I'm in a zone when I'm doing that work. I mean, that's, I'm really in a zone. Um, and, you know, I talk about basketball players being in a zone, right? Uh, when I when I'm working in the yard, I'm so yeah, I'm listening for the birds, you know, paying attention to those things. But that's part of the zone. I'm not thinking about traffic. I'm not thinking about neighbors. It's me and nature for the most part. You know, I'm going to share with you a project that uh, I've been talking about. Podcast listeners will know this. I had on my podcast a guy named Joe DeSena, who's the founder of of a, the the Spartan Race, if you know it. So the, it's his weekend events, sometimes much bigger, where you crawl under barbed wire and through mud and climb over walls. And um, he invited me up to, after he and I clicked, I, I think that's fair to say. And he invited me up to his farm in Vermont. And there was an event that weekend that I didn't participate in because I only heard about it just before, but it was to go up and down this thousand foot, I don't know, hill mountain, as many times as you could in 24 hours. People brought headlamps and you know food and changes clothes and all this stuff. And I went up and down a few times. The winner went up like 30 or 40 times. <laughs> This woman, she was like slight and she just kept going up and down and up and down and up and down. And other people had to break and she didn't. And people were like, you should take a break and eat more. And she just kept it going up and down and up and down. And then when the event ended, she just got in her car and drove away. And everyone's like, what? How did that happen? <laughs> what happened that you did that? And anyway, so I'm up there and there's, it looks like a staircase, but it's really boulders that have been put up there. And past events, they had people had to carry these boulders up and make this. So he, he used the, an event to create the stair stuff and everyone loved it, right? That people pay to do it. And that led me to thinking I should get them to help me put my rooftop garden in. Sounds like a great idea. Up until now, I was thinking, well, I live in the Greenwich village. You know, we should do it to put in, in neighborhoods that are less privileged than mine. And, but now it becomes like a big event because you have to schedule and plan and get permission, things like that. And now I'm thinking, just do one event and say, yeah, we'll, we'll do it other places later, but let's do my rooftop. You're doing 15 minutes in your, yeah. I mean, the yeah. equivalent of 15 minutes. Well, one quick project. Let's get one under the belt. Yeah, just get one done. That, and that's Deming. That's the PDSA. What's, what can we do that's low cost, low risk, and fast? Low cost, low risk, and fast. Let's not boil the ocean. Let's start with a cup of water. That's, what, that's my teaching. Start with a cup of water. What can you do in 15 minutes? What can you do with one building? Half a rooftop, whatever it is. Just start small. Uh, I have a client that says, you know, uh, I'd rather have 80% today than 100% three months from now. Mm-hmm. What can I do today that's 80%? Move, that'll, to use a sports analogy, move the ball down the field. But there's another piece to that. When I was talking about being in the zone, maybe I should be talking about in terms of flow. Mahai uh, Chicks and Mahai's work at mm-hmm. University of Chicago. The whole flow, that woman you were talking about. She was in the flow. She was in the zone, right? It was the, you lose track of time. Mm-hmm. You look up and you're like, I haven't eaten lunch. Yeah. And so it's not, I, partly I held back on doing it for my rooftop because I thought, well, I'm benefiting from it. I don't want to be selfish about this, but. The whole building can benefit from it. You can give the food away. I mean, whatever. Well, also if people get into a flow state, they're, it's for them. It's for everyone. I mean, this is like, I mean, it's part of, it's a step toward green rooftops across the country. If there's an education component of it now, you've, you've trained, what, 10 other people? Five other people to go do it other places. You you built capability within your system. Well, you got me going. And they made the mistakes <laughs> in your place that you can then fix later. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also starting to think of like um, other groups. Tony Hillary started this thing called uh, Harlem Grown, where they have they took over a an empty lot across the street from a school where he volunteered, and it turned into a, a, an urban garden. And then this green Bronx machine of this guy who's a teacher up in the Bronx, and he's been creating gardening. And you know, this is like better science education than textbooks. And they also know about I don't know if there's zoning issues or whatever stuff like that. Okay. So one of the, uh, so this makes me think of that. One of the things related to building momentum for the things you want to accomplish is you, you, you need, uh, you know, templates or checklists or blueprints or whatever you want to call them so that we were, in the Deming world, we refer to that as building uh, the capability within the system and improving it. So it's, it's the old, you know, give a person a fish, teach them how to fish. It's the same, the same concept. As humans, we we can get much faster if we have a map. We can get to where we're going faster if that's if speed is what we're after. If we have a map, so how do you do a rooftop garden? There are, there are things that have to be planned. There are things that we need to know that will save people time. That you know that I don't know, or that you'll learn by doing it. And you get the group engaged in the learning, and now you've got a Deming-based organization, you know, a little mini group there of what did we learn? What did we try? What did we try next time? What could we improve? How can we work together more efficiently? This is fun. People look at me picking up garbage and they're like, why do you do that? And I'm like, it's, that's not fun. That's rewarding. It's slightly different, but it's, I'm, I'm starting to um, think Martin Luther King would say, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. And I just heard that. And maybe it's the Tao Te Ching or something. If you want to stand tall, you got to get on your knees. And I think people want to reach the mountaintop without having to climb up the mountain. And I think people want to, stand tall without getting on their knees, that picking up other people's garbage is how you learn how much garbage there is. It's how you learn how it got there. And if you don't know how it got there, you don't know, you can pick up garbage. That's not what I'm doing. I'm figuring out how it gets there in the first place and how we can stop it from getting there. Yeah. The, the first thing you talked about in terms of people wanting the mom to talk about, maybe the mom is really about, in part, about ego, right? And what you're saying is, leave the ego aside. Oh, I'm saying the promised land in this case is a world without all this litter. It's a world where we don't produce so much plastic in the first place. And now people who have not been to the mountaintop, they think, I talked to one guy and for him, plastic, he works for a consumer product goods company. And for him, plastic is his business. But he thinks when the first thing I say to him, when you mention plastic, him, he starts talking about stents that you put in, in, in arteries that save people's lives. So the scale on this is completely out of whack in my, from my view. You, like that amount of plastic, fine, use that all you want. That has nothing to do with the dump trucks every minute that's going into the oceans. But in his mind, that's what he's thinking. He has not been to the mountaintop, which is where plastics are the way I see leaded gasoline or asbestos. Perhaps it has some purpose, but it's not worth it. And what I do see is in the case of food packaging, it would be farmer's markets all over the place. It would be, you know, right now people say, oh, what can they do up in Harlem if they can't get farmer's markets? Well, get Get farmers markets there, and and not shopping at farmers markets is the last thing you should do, if you think that there should be more farmers markets. And so, getting to where seeing where picking up garbage is something I would rather do than say watch TV is part of the promised land to me. The stewardship of of picking the stuff up. Well, it's it's what we talked about earlier, which is service, mm-hmm. the and part of the win win, and I'm learning, and I'm feeling good. Uh, and I'm helping, and, and, and. Uh, so the, the ego is not about, oh, I'm better at this than anybody else. Or I got to the mountain. 
top before anybody else or, or without, I mean, all that stuff, right? It, it's, it's the bigger issue. It's the bigger uh, feeling. It's the bigger contribution. It's the, it's the uh, being all that you can be. If we, if we go back to, to Maslow self-actualization, I think we talked about this last time. I don't recall that, you know, Maslow's self-actualization really, if you read Maslow, what he writes about is you really cannot self-actualize. You cannot be all that you can be unless you help others be all that they can be. And that means shedding ego and mentoring. I feel like we're, we've just scratched the surface. Uh, I see that we're also over time. I want to extend an invitation anytime, maybe when the stuff starts growing next to, in the spring, or I leave you an open invitation to come back and report back on developments or things like that. Anything to wrap up with before, before wrapping up? Yes, I think maybe the uh, future conversation is uh, uh, perhaps less about my garden, but about the garden of the world, as we were talking, uh, I think, before the podcast in terms of some things that, that uh, might happen, that, that uh, confluence of Deming and your, Deming's work and your work uh, to try to, to, try to uh, establish some framework that would be really helpful as a template to build capability as you go forward and others. So I look forward to that. I look forward to, I'm sure I'll contact you more about these things. And I look forward to having you back if, at, at your convenience. That'd be great. No, I appreciate it. That'd be fun. Enjoy it. Well, Kelly Allen, thank you very much. What a pleasure. Kelly is on the Deming Institute board. Before and after recording our conversation, we talked about involving people who practiced and mastered Deming's approach with the sustainability stuff. You can tell how much he loves it. I think that love is there for everyone. I think people who are experienced and skilled at applying Deming's approach corporate-wide, even sometimes beyond one corporation, I think something is going to happen with us. We're going to contribute to big change. If you're improving your leadership, especially in the style of Deming, if you sense that we're on the ground floor of change on the scale of Japan's transformation in 1950, and you want in, contact me. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.